Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. to Girlfriend It Radio. This is Patty and Lisa, and actually it's just Patty for today. And we're all about rallying women to do the remarkable, whether that is in your company, your family, your ministry, or in your friendships. And today we kind of have a crazy lineup on our topics because the first half of our show, we have Lindsay Dennis. She's an author who just released a new book, Buried Dreams from Devastating Loss to Unimaginable Hope. And then we're going to dive into everything you ever wanted to know about negotiations with Randy Cutts, a negotiation expert. Uh, now, maybe this is stretching it to say everything you wanted to know, but we are going to highlight some crucial, poignant points. And if you are dealing with conflict in your life, this is a don't miss it session. But our first guest really, truly speaks into my heart because I currently went through a loss of a dream with my own daughter as she just experienced an atopic pregnancy. Uh, she nearly lost her life and was rushed into surgery with a liter of blood quickly draining into her abdomen. And I, I know the physical pain is crazy and it's slowly healing, but it is the, the emotional pain that you are never truly prepared for. And apparently there are so many of, of us that are experiencing this kind of loss because when Lindsay began writing in a blog, within the first week she had thousands of views. And within two years she had 1.5 million page views and 400,000 unique visitors as she shared her journey and wrote what it looks like to know God in the midst of suffering and how to trust him with the pen of their stories. So with that background, I am going to let Lynn. Uh-oh. I think oh, I lost. Hello. Oh, hi, Lindsay. <laughs> how I'm are you? Sorry. <laughs> um, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. How are you? I'm good, and I'm so sorry for what you just walked through with your daughter oh, and for her yes. loss. It's, it's, wow. it's horrible, and, and I was sharing your, uh, your book with her, and she's, she's not um, quite you know, finished reading it, so I'm interested to hear what, what she has to say, and I, I'm just glad that you, you moved on this calling to, to write this book, and I know You've served in ministries all over the world, and you're passionate for investing in, in students and um, people with sharing your heart. So tell us a little bit about your story and what did move you to, to write this book. Yeah, so when I was pregnant with my first daughter, um, my husband and I were newly married, and we were in a state of blissfulness and excited for our family to grow and so when we stepped into our 20-week ultrasound with her, we were not anticipating anything other than maybe the sonographer would slip and tell us the gender. We wanted to be surprised. 
Um, but instead we found out that our first daughter would not live once born. And we were devastated. We were in a state of shock. And yet somehow in the midst of that, we knew that God was still good and for us and that this life was precious. And so we wanted to carry this little baby to term, even though many would choose termination uh, for this child. And we chose to celebrate her life. We named her Sophie. And every week we celebrated her life in some fun way and our community rallied around us. And in the course of that, that those weeks and months leading up to her birth, I started to blog about our journey, really as an avenue just to process my own grief and wrestling and also to let others into what was going on in our lives. Um, and that just kind of exploded in ways that I was not expecting. And I just continued to write and saw God use it, use our my brokenness, my weariness, um, in the midst of grief to be an offering of hope to other people who were wrestling with their own losses and pain. And, um, and also saw how people celebrated our daughter's life with us, which was so precious. And she was born on September 1st, 2013 and lived for 10 wonderful hours, which we were not expecting. Um, and we were told that, that she would live maybe minutes. And yet we got hours with her mm. and that was really wonderful in the midst of just the great grief of having to say goodbye to her. And after she passed away, we were still hopeful for how our family would continue to form. And uh, I think in the midst of that, we didn't realize how some of our hope was still in our circumstances and hoping our circumstances would change or uh, be what we wanted them to be. And, didn't realize how much of our hope was not centered in God alone. And uh, so we continued to uh, trust God to form our family. And six months later, we were pregnant again and still grieving the loss of Sophie. Weary. Um, my body was still recovering from my first pregnancy. And here I was pregnant again and uh, hopeful that this little baby would live. Um, and then Three months later, we found out that this little baby, Dasa is her name, had a similar condition as Sophie, and she also would not live. And so we were not just devastated with knowing I was going to walk through this loss again and have to say goodbye to another little girl, but also wondering, gosh, this is not how we thought our family would grow or not grow. And yeah. um, we... We just were wondering, where is God in the midst of this? This is this is the season where questions began for who God is and what is the hope that he speaks of in Romans, the hope that doesn't disappoint, because I'm so disappointed in my circumstances. I'm so disappointed in how our family is growing in my journey for motherhood. And throughout this, I continued to write. We continued to celebrate Das's life and uh, invite people into our questions and our pain and began to see God use community again to rally around us and bring comfort and lift our weary arms um, and point us to hope when it felt like, gosh, where is hope right now? And she was born on November 13th of 2014, and she lived for 12 hours. And they were, again, precious hours with her in the midst of knowing we would have to say goodbye and once again leaving the hospital with empty arms. Um but we enjoyed sweet, sweet time with her, and we were, again, not 
sure how long she would live and if she would cry or make sounds. And Dasha made sounds her entire life. She cooed and she did things that I think most newborns don't typically do and let us into her sweet personality. And that coming home empty-armed again um, pressed me into a a deeper season of grief than I had even experienced with Sophie, and I didn't really know that it could be deeper. Um, And really brought me to a place of really wrestling with God and really wanting to know who is this God that I have served for so many years, and he has not done what I thought he would do in my life, and uh, I don't really know what to do with that. And so I began to really wrestle, and I think it was really in the wrestling and inviting God into my pain and really asking Him to meet me in those places that God began to write His hope in my heart in a fresh way and really fixing my eyes on Jesus and understanding what it means that Jesus bore my pain, that He's formed me, that He loves me deeply, and that He's good in all things, even when it doesn't make sense. And that's really one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book is because I saw how God met me in my own journey of suffering, and I wanted to offer that to other people in hopes that He would meet others in their own journey of suffering in a fresh way and point others to the hope that doesn't disappoint. Mm. Okay, Lindsay, thank you for sh- <laughs> thank you for sharing. But there's so much there. Every single sentence you said, I I had a question be- behind that, <laughs> and. First of all, um, I, I can't believe that you you literally back to back went through such severe pain. And I know we have a tendency to measure our pain. And when other people are talking about theirs, like if they're talking about a miscarriage, you go, oh, no, honey, you have no idea. It's <laughs> <laughs> so much worse, you know. And so I, I would imagine that uh, that you've had a lot of that in, in your in your story with experiencing um, just such severe pain. And the other thing that came to mind was this is truly when you said, you know, just those sweet hours um, to be in the moment, to, to, to truly be present. And that's so hard in life. We're, we're always mm-hmm. about that destination. We're always about, okay, I have to get over this so I can mm-hmm. move on to the next thing. And the way that you unpack that and just the, the imagery there of how you had 12 hours, 12 precious hours. And I just thought, I, I don't think I could have been there like that. I, hmm. I would have just been waiting. Okay, we're we're done here. I can't handle it because I would be sobbing hysterically. So um, we're, we have two minutes and we're going into a commercial break. But I, I want to just kind of unpack that of uh, when you say God is in it and he is good in all things. And he, he met you along the way. I think for for someone outside of of that realm who doesn't have that close relationship with with God and knows what it likes what it looks like to have Jesus right there beside you I I would be looking at this going no I don't I don't think so I don't want that I don't want that kind of walk uh-huh. um, you know so we have we have 1 minute before we go into the um commercial break but I just, how did you, what was the one tip on how you were in the moment and you were truly present that way? Did you prepare yourself for that? 
No, and I would say it was different each time. With Sophie, I was much more present in the moment. With Dasa, I was trying to fit everything in. You know, how, how do I fit a lifetime of of memories in 12 hours or however long God was going to give us with her? And especially with Dasa, we had people praying for us. And so I would just say, have people pray. Like, we can't do it alone. We can't be in the moment. We can't um, know God's love alone, apart from others coming alongside of us and lifting our arms when it can feel like he's not present. Yeah. Oh, that, that is, I I definitely want to get back to that after this commercial break. Um, Just asking where is God and how you invited others into your questions and pain. Mm -hmm. And we will be right back after this commercial break. This is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Resistance exercise is crucial to keeping your bones strong and dense. It is still important that we get sufficient amounts of calcium through eating and supplements. Children ages 9 through 18 need 1,300 milligrams of calcium a day, while adults up to 50 need 1,000 milligrams, and adults over 50 need 1,200 milligrams a day. One cup of milk or fortified orange juice has about 300 milligrams of calcium. Other good choices are yogurt, cheese, oatmeal, and salmon. When taking a pill or chew of calcium, be sure to couple it with vitamin D to help with the absorption. It is estimated that in the U.S., 55% of men and 78% of women over the age of 20 do not get enough calcium in their diets. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We're chatting with Lindsay Dennis as she just finished writing her um, new book that's being released this month, I believe, Buried Dreams. It's released this month, right, Lindsay? Yeah, it actually released last month, September 18th. Yeah, which which is interesting because um, you, when you released this book, you did not have your child yet. 
and you have a three-month-old baby now. And it, yes. it's, as you went through this whole pregnancy, were you continuously going into the doctor's office to check out to make sure <laughs> everything was okay? Or how, how were you able to have a normal, normal pregnancy? Well, I didn't because I didn't really know what normal was. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was so strange. I have four children. My third came through in our lives through adoption, Jaden. And then we have Briella, who's three months old. And um, even when we went into our uh, doctor's office where we would find out whether she could live or not, I still was in disbelief. It really was not until she was in my arms um, in the hospital that I, w- I felt like I could breathe. And the entire pregnancy was just, Lord, how do I continue to trust you with this child's life mm-hmm. and their health and knowing there are no guarantees? And how do I hope in you and not in my circumstances. I feel like I was asking the same questions that I was asking as I anticipated loss with my first two girls. And just really, what does it look like to trust God? And um, I, it was so strange to have a pregnancy where, as far as I knew, I knew this baby could live. And uh, I would say the whole pregnancy was just strange because what I knew of pregnancy was lost. Um, so I was so grateful, but I really don't feel like I took a breath. Um yeah of relief until she was in my arms. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't imagine. Now, when people say, how many, how many children do you have? You, you say four and then, yes. then you, because you did have four, you, you <laughs> do have four. Uh, but then you say two of them passed away. Um, that, that obviously leads into an uncomfortable, Oh, you know, uh, what that, that's just, I'm asking you a weird question, but I, I just am curious at some of the weirdest things. Like how do you jump back or does that just give you a great opening to share Christ in your life at that time? Well, it depends on the day and how I'm doing emotionally, because whenever yeah. I've asked the question, I feel like I have to take a deep breath and be prepared to step into a greater conversation. Um, but I think that, you know, it's important for me to acknowledge their lives. And I think that often in conversations, they want to skirt around the uncomfortable things. And I do make people uncomfortable with that. With that. People don't know how to respond. And I know that. And so I try to be gracious. Um, but also I want to acknowledge their lives. And so sometimes I uh, give just a short answer of what happened. Um, and depending on if a person asks more, then I'll, I'll share more about their lives. And really, I think because it's been four or five years since their loss, I'm able to talk about it more and be more emotionally, I guess, I don't want to say put together, but in the early years of grief, it was just really hard for me to just even share about them because I just would just, you know, become a mess of tears. So I was always hesitant to um, even allow for opportunities for those questions because I knew that emotionally I wasn't able to really... um, keep it together to even talk about them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and, and that, that leads into my next question that we talked about before the commercial break. You know, where is God? You, you mentioned, obviously you're, you're feeling that like, okay, God, this isn't how I expected my life. And, and you're not doing well <laughs> with, <laughs> with putting my life together and planning out my life for me. Uh, how, when you say he met you all the way through that and he's good in all things, how do you explain that and where did he meet you? Gosh, yeah. Um, wow, do we have another few hours? 
Right. Yeah, I, you know, I think that back to even you mentioned earlier, just comparing or suffering, you know, God began to build a foundation in me and the things that even now, maybe I look back and say, wow, that wasn't really suffering, but it felt like suffering to me in my singleness. I got married older in life, and there was some really foundational things that God rooted in my heart about His goodness as I was trusting Him for a husband. Um, and that, those are pivotal moments for me. So I think even even as I hear others suffering, I really can look back and say, you know, there were times when people who suffered far greater than me or what I would say is far greater stepped into my story of suffering that seemed maybe trivial at the time, uh, but was so significant to me. And because of that, it's just easy for me, you know, our suffering is our suffering. And so I've seen God meet me in other places in my life. And so I knew that he was good. I knew, especially with Sophie, I knew it was an opportunity to really cling to truth that God had been writing on my heart in previous years. Um, with Dasa, I feel like there was new, new things that God wanted to write on my heart. And I really think he used people to do that in his word, really. I had to go back, you know, when Again, that verse in Romans where he talks about the hope that doesn't disappoint. I, I was like, gosh, I've read that before, but I am so disappointed in this life. What is that hope that doesn't disappoint? Because this seems like really disappointing. Um, or when Paul says in First Corinthians, our light and momentary suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. My goodness, I read that and I was like, well, this does not feel light or momentary. So what in the world are you talking about? And so I really had to dive more deeply into his word. And as I did that, God brought people into my life to really help make it come alive and to speak words of hope, not not trite sayings of, you know, just believe this, but really entering into our pain, acknowledging and validating it and pointing us heavenward to, you know, this life is so temporal. And when you have children in heaven or, you know, we're going to be in heaven, your heart longs for heaven more and you're forced to look at this world um, as a very temporal place and, and think about, gosh, where am I putting my hope? Like, is it in this life or is it in eternity that this is, this is not the end and my suffering is small in comparison to eternity. It does not feel small right now, but there will be a day when I can understand it more in full. Um, and so there just have been pivotal moments throughout even the last couple of years where God has really revealed himself to me in very profound ways of just that he's the God that keeps coming for us in our pain. And he wants us to know him rightly. He wants us to know who he really is, not our ideas of of who he is or who we think he should be, but who he really is. And it really has been in suffering that I've been forced to ask those questions about who he is, really wanting to know, um, not being okay with trite answers, but wanting to know for myself, like, are you a good God? What does it mean that you bore the weight of all the pain of the world on the cross? I mean, I I think of that, and I think my pain feels so weighty, and yet you bore the pain of all, like, all of the pain of this world. And that has moved my heart to, like, recognize his love for me, that he would do that so that I could know him um, in fresh ways. Well, you said something there, um, not being okay with trite answers. And I think that's such a great uh, topic there because sometimes we, we think, oh, I don't have the right to, to question you, God. I don't have the right to, you know, just get into God's word sometimes. And it, it can be trite even when, you know, other people breathe into us. It's like, mm-hmm. 
no, no, that's not good <laughs> for me. And, and to recognize his love because I, you know, when you have been in pain and people will come along and, oh, but look at, you know, look at the pain Jesus went through and look what he did. Even that, it can be irritating because it's like, yeah. you know I'm not there right now for you to talk yeah. about what Jesus did for me because <laughs> I'm in a good place with him right now. And I really don't want to hear about his pain. But then when you really come back to it, it's like, wow, you know, when you really, truly, he shows up and he's mm -hmm. pouring into you. And, and I love how you said that with, he pours into you with the people he, he brings alongside of you. And it, I was in my mid thirties before I really recognized that it was through people that he came along, you know, it was bigger than just, um, you, you read God's word and you're asking these questions and he's putting people right there that are supporting mm -hmm. you coming along. And you, you know, you kept thinking he was going to bring a helicopter or something to <laughs> rescue you. And he was rescuing you through those relationships, which is amazing. Well, yeah. I want, I want to, we have three minutes left before the, the commercial break. And I just want to thank you again for being on the show, for sharing your heart. And uh, I want to get back to your book, though, because I really think if you're a listener out there and you are suffering through, not, it doesn't even have to be through a loss of a child, but just in that I, I don't have the hope right now. This is a great book. And I want to ask you one last question here, Lindsay. How is Buried Dreams different from other stories of loss and grief? Um, well, I think, one, just the ways that I talk about our community and the spirit of celebration, it obviously is a sad story, um, but it also is one full of hope and joy. And I think it probably will surprise the reader to find points where they laugh um, in it. I hope they laugh anyway. Um, because there are some just comical moments, but I just, I really think there's a spirit of celebration and joy in the midst of it. And there's a, a continual pointing to hope. So even if someone hasn't lost a child per se, obviously that's my story and that's, I write with the backdrop of my story. Uh, it's really, I talk about how God is writing hope in our hearts in the midst of our waiting, our suffering, and as he calls us to surrender our stories to him. And so this is my journey of how he's done that for me. And I hope that the reader would pick out things that, that they can connect to in their own stories of loss. Um, so while there is a lot about grief in this, in this book, there really is, I think, more so about how do we know the hope that doesn't disappoint in the midst of the, the dreams that we have to bury in our lives um, that we don't see come to fruition and that we have to trust God to write in our hearts in some way. Mm. Yes, it, it does seem very counterintuitive when you when you talk about sorrow, suffering, and then hope. You know, it's like, okay, well, tell me <laughs> how I tell me how I can see humor in this. And we we have a minute left still, so tell us what would be a tip to our listeners right now as they are maybe right in the midst of you know they're li literally pushing this news button because they don't want to wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I think that it's in it's in these seasons where God can do the greatest work in our lives, that we don't want to miss it, that it's so painful, and often in our culture, we just want to get out of the pain or figure out, you know, when will it end? But I would say, don't miss what God is doing in the midst of it, that He's doing He's doing a work, and He wants to do a work in your heart um, in the midst of the suffering right now.
This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Constant, regular, unfailing, unswerving, dependable, steady. These are words that describe consistency. In order to get results in your exercise program, you need to be consistent. It's not working out really hard once or twice a week that's going to give you the results that you want. It's a steady, regular, constant dedication to fitness that will really pay off for you. Exercising in some form or fashion every day is the best approach and the goal that you want to strive for. Some people think that their schedule is too full to fit in any time for exercise. But if that is your position, then your health is really getting shortchanged. Exercise has so many perks, including feeling good, looking great, and most importantly, exercise can save your life. So make exercise a priority and be consistent. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. gave you a sneak peek earlier for the treat we are going into with our next guest, Randy Cutts, a negotiation training professional. Randy is the founder of Negotiation Training 360 and author of The Negotiation Table, Everyone's Guide to Everyday Negotiations, which is soon to be released. Randy is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran with tons of titles next to his name, as well as he is a graduate of the highly acclaimed Harvard Executive Leadership Program on Negotiation and has completed advanced training at the Air War College. Randy is a national trainer with the Negotiation Expertise Organization and has also spent eight years working in the U.S. House of Representatives. Five of those years, he served as a chief of staff in Washington, D.C. So welcome, Randy. I got to tell you, I am so excited to have you with us today. 
Hey, glad to be with you, Patty. Well, I, I've noticed um, you are like zealously training professionals on the fusion of work and life and how we show up to the world in our conflicting scenarios of our own lives. And as I mentioned earlier, we would like to leave here today knowing all of, of the negotiation secrets. And uh, obviously, that's that's not realistic to do that in 30 minutes. But I would love if you could share with us a, a few skills that I could at least pack in my arsenal, especially for the future holidays that are coming up. <laughs> is there is there a perfect negotiation formula? Uh, what 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 are your tips and tricks for us? Yeah, sure. Wait, first of all, it it would be uh, fitting to remind people that the secret sauce, the secret to the success in life, is not in the knowing, but it's in the doing. <laughs> so. Uh -huh. uh, Ah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, you can you can lead a horse to water, right? But you can't make him drink. And uh, when you talk about yeah, holidays coming up, uh, are we talking about negotiating with vendors in purchasing gifts, or negotiating with family members, you know, over where we're gonna host uh, Christmas and Christmas Eve and Thanksgiving and whatever else? Well, uh, I, I was thinking family members, and <laughs> I have to tell you, Randy, we we were talking yesterday, and uh, I had told you about I I literally just returned from New York and. I had the opportunity to go to the NFL and, and train a group there in negotiations, which I was highly intimidated by. And after I got over the thrill of, you know, walking down the wall of fame, looking at the, you know, all the amazing jerseys and the Super Bowl rings and all that, I, I was able to get down to business. And, and I realized with, you know, some negotiations, they have such a high price. And you were talking about you literally talk to people about those those high stakes when when you're going to the table and you literally are offering up your firstborn, you know, with yeah. some of the expectations that are just a crazy part of the equation. And and yet I started laughing because I thought, you know, we we do that even when it comes to um Thanksgiving and holidays and like you said are we talking vendors or are we talking you know just yeah. family members on hey we're, we're leaving here at 12 o'clock I want everybody to be in the car <laughs> you know but right. it feels like you know they're all poignant you know conversations that that you're ha having but uh what is the tip specifically when emotions are running high and it could get bloody like you said, it's not knowing, it's actual doing. What could we yeah. do? Yeah, sure. And, and you know, it's, it's it needs to be understood that uh, negotiation is a is a life skill. It's a people skill. And and essentially, if, if you're good with people, you'll be good with negotiation. Uh, and, you know, kind of the iconic um, authors and, and grandfathers of modern day negotiation realize negotiation has been around ever since there have been two people on the face of the earth right and so there's there's been conflict where there are people there will be people problems and the, this the, roger fisher william Urey of harvard they you know they wrote the classic book get into yes and and in there and i, I reference it because it's it really is a starting point of modern negotiations uh, where they they successfully in my opinion uh rescued negotiation out of a legal context and brought it into uh, a transactional uh, and people context. In the legal side of negotiation, like a sporting match, you talk about the NFL, there, there are, there's no win-lose-draw. There's just win or lose, right? So mm -hmm. there's not a, um, a, a outcome that is uh, 
you know, let's just split the difference. It's it's a fair outcome where we're both going to uh, win or we're both going to lose. Um, in in uh, in negotiation, it can't work that way. You cannot have a win lose proposition like a sporting match, uh, like a legal uh, outcome. Truly, negotiation, insofar as there are people at the center of it, must focus on a collaborative win-win outcome. And don't misunderstand, when I talk about win-win, I'm not talking about a 50-50. Uh, I'm talking about one side is going to win more because it's it's always uh, a process that uh, has two people at the table, uh, and one side of the table does have more power, more influence, more ability to uh, eke out more concessions. And so they're going to win more, and that's just the fact of life. But what most people are looking for in a negotiation is, is not so much a uh, fair, equal, balanced outcome, but a fair and equal, balanced process. They want to know that their interests and their issues were taken into consideration and an effort was made to meet some of their needs as it was an effort made to meet the other side's needs. And when that meeting of the minds happens and they can come together with a mutual interest, they both can walk away with getting some of their needs met, um, but one's going to walk away with more marbles at the end of the day just because it's just the nature of life, right? So uh, we, I always just also remind people there is no, there is no formula uh, insofar as every person on the face of the earth is a unique individual with unique interests and needs and perspectives and upbringings and context and everything else, they bring that to the negotiation table. So every negotiation is unique. Um, a good starting point, though, uh, that I would say is true to every, you know, every negotiation type of transaction, which is kind of why I wrote my book even, uh, is is starting with the people. Who is coming to the table? Uh, that's a question. I've got, you know, basically three questions. Who's coming? What do they want? And how are they going to negotiate? So who's coming is the people. What do they want is really the products or the principles or the positions that you're negotiating over. And then how are they going to negotiate is, is the process. Are they going to negotiate in a hard bargaining competitive way? Or are they going to negotiate in a more cooperative, collaborative, uh, uh, you know, peaceable way? And, and and that answer to that question is really based on uh, how much they value what it is they're negotiating over. <laughs> uh, or have they been burned in the past by you or by someone like you? Um, and and they're going to bring that to the table as well. So you, you it's really hard to separate the people from what you're actually negotiating over. And that's why I say people are the central point of every negotiation. That's the, that's the secret. That's the formula, if you will, start with the people. And you know what? That is such a great tip because we want, like, tell me exactly what to say. Tell me, you know, my three steps. And, and I, I love your three steps. It's about truly getting into the emotion of it, getting into what's the, what's the ambiance, what's the environment, what, you know, we're going to start with the people, how are they coming to the table, what do they want, what is unique about them, and, you know, we come to the table wanting to win, like you said, and even to get that expectation of, I, I feel like, you know, what's in it for them, because when you come to the table and go, what's in it for them, you know, we, we might be able to come to a win-win just by knowing that. 
That's right. Rather than just going, me, 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 me. I'm the baby of six, so believe me, I want to win. It's all about me. (laughs) Yeah, there's uh, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, principle from uh, from actually from the Bible that talks about you know, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Starting with the other side of the table is the principle. And that's a lifelong principle, starting with the other side of the table. Now, it, it says do not merely look out for your own interests, but it does not say don't look out for your own interests. So we're not doormats, right? We don't just um, uh, merely satisfy the other side's interests. That's unnatural. Uh, it is very natural to look out for number one, look out for our own interests, but we are we ought not only do that if we're going to uh, truly seek a, an outcome um, that is that's mutual. And that, and that's that's a that's a metric. I'll just tell you a good metric for success at the negotiation table is not how much you won, but rather. When you look back on it, when both parties look back on the negotiation, they walk away saying, I didn't get everything I wanted, perhaps, but I would do business with that person again because I was treated fairly. I was treated with respect. They listened to me. They took into account my interests. And that, that's, that's, again, another sort of principle, um, the, the way in which when we start with the end in mind, then we will put that, that will help us to center on the people at the table. I start with the the end in mind is also such a great uh, tip there, Randy, because often um, we're we're not prepared. We're not planned. We, we haven't planned it out. Well, especially if we're getting into, you know, just the holiday thought process, <laughs> because those conversations are you're so in the moment that if you know going into it that, hey, you know, this from the past, I know that these situations can get out of hand and this day might have a little bit more stress and anxiety and I'm going to, you know, maybe not be as kind with my words as, as I should be. So if you start with the end in mind and especially looking at the past history to go, how can I make this day awesome or, you know, leading into this week of, of holidays or this month of holidays, like putting some goals there of, of having the end in mind. And we're, we're going to go into a commercial break. But I'd like to get back and uh, talk about, like you said, the, the metric of negotiation and how we can truly um, be successful and want to be want to do business with that person again. So we'll come right back after this commercial. Absolutely. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. 
we won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Heart disease is the number one killer of men and women in the U.S. But the good news is there are things that you can do today to help prevent heart disease. The experts agree that the most important thing that you can do to avoid cardiovascular disease is to have regular exercise. Exercise keeps your heart rate low by conditioning your heart muscle, keeping it fit and pumping efficiently. Regular exercise burns calories, keeps your weight down, and revs up your metabolism. It increases your HDL and keeps your blood pressure low. So don't wait for heart disease to come find you. Take steps now to stave it off and to live a long, vibrant, and healthy life. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Togedad.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. All right, we've been talking with our guest, Randy Cutts, a negotiation training professional. And Randy is the founder of Negotiation Training 360 and author of The Negotiation Table, Everyone's Guide to Everyday Negotiations. And uh, Randy, I, I really appreciated what you said on I the, the, the win-win is when you walk away going, you know what, I want to do business with that person again. And, and I think often... We get into, especially when it comes into business negotiations that we, we want to win, that we can actually get nasty. We want to show our power and we power up rather than truly partnering up to go, no, we want to establish these relationships. And as you and I know, when you finally, when you're, when you've experienced life as long as we have, um, it does come back around and you do see those people again. And my mom used to always say, you should be able to go to the grocery store or the airport and see someone coming and never have that like feeling in your stomach. You know, you should always be well with your soul in every single relationship. So tell us a little bit more about that because it really is an emotional thing that's going on with negotiations. Yeah, you can't you can't separate the emotion from the person. You can't separate the people from the from the negotiation and you definitely can't separate the emotion from the people, right? We are emotional creatures. It is not wrong to be emotional. Emoting is what animates us, right? It's what confirms that we're we're living breathing human beings. So, emoting is a good thing. And I think though that we tend to react to people emoting when someone is, is being, quote unquote, emotional, uh, it's, it doesn't have to be a negative thing, even though it may appear to be on its surface, right? A child throwing a ten- temper tantrum, you know, is not pretty, right? But, it, but it's manifesting something that's beneath the surface. And it's important that uh, when, when someone is emoting, when someone is being emotional, that's just a trigger point. That just, just tells us that there's something more important going on beneath the surface, and I need to get down beneath the surface. It's kind of like the, the iceberg uh, analogy, right? It's the tip of the iceberg is the least important part of the iceberg, said the captain of the Titanic, right? It's everything beneath the surface that really matters, and we have to get beneath the surface. What's manifested on top of the surface, that emoting, 
uh, is only indicating that something really important uh, and valuable is beneath the surface. And so it should it should stop us in our tracks when someone gets emotional uh, to ask questions, stop us and, and, and force us to start asking questions. Help me understand. Um, you know, there, there's a there's a I think we talked about this, but there's a uh, an author. Uh, Chris Voss, who, who wrote a book called Never Split the Difference, he was a hostage negotiator with the FBI. Uh, this taps into some of your past world and training that you've done. But um, he would he outlined in there and you talk about hostage negotiating. You're not looking for, um, uh, you know, necessarily meeting the other side's needs and interests. Uh, you need to rescue people. Right. So but he talked about a turning point in, in the hostage negotiation, which is the highest point of emotion. A turning point would be when he's asking them questions and he's recapping for them their position. He's just merely articulating where they are, why they feel the way that they do, why they decided to do what they did. And by doing that and connecting with them, he's not agreeing with them, but he's merely understanding where they're coming from. And, and he would listen for three key words and it would be, yes, that's right, where the, the hostage taker would say that you've connected with me. And he knew at that point it would be a turning point and he'd be able to work out some kind of an agreement to to release the hostages. And it's really fascinating because you wouldn't expect uh, this is a, a high EQ emotional intelligence, you know, play by a hostage negotiator. Right. You wouldn't expect that to be the the, uh, the the formula, if you will. But but that's what it was. And I don't think it's any different in our negotiations when someone's being emotional It's just we need to stop. We need to ask them questions. We need to listen to them, uh, actively listen, using some of this emotional intelligence uh, and then even articulating back to them what their position is. Because most people just want to be understood. They, they don't have to be right. They just have to be heard. And if they're heard, that is a, a bridge building activity uh, to, to at least finding a meeting of the minds and, and, a, and a collaborative outcome. They don't have to be right, but they do have to be heard. And emotional negotiations oftentimes is a is a deafening negotiation and people can't be heard they talk past one another so you gotta you gotta stop ask questions dig beneath the surface and then re-articulate the other person's position and uh, powerful powerful suggestions there randy and you know i just heard recently that 80 percent of decisions are made from our emotions Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting when you when you think of that, you know, it's like you have all this data in front of you, you have the information, but yet you're still going to go with those. Your your gut talks to you, and that's how we make our decisions. And you, you, not to get off, this is a whole other topic, but to get off on even in the political realm, and you see, you know, yeah. you're you're listening to someone going, okay, you're really not that stupid, right? Because you're operating out of your emotions, and they're operating out of out of their emotions and it's easy to go well did we still did we watch the same you know show did we see this in the same way that uh the the facts aren't there you're not out of you know just wait these are the facts and now you're going off of emotions but uh the yeah there are cognitive there are cognitive factors there's worldview factors in in the political realm people just have a different perspective they see things different their their vantage point their point of view, the worldview is all is different. And so we just have to recognize that we're not and, and set our own expectations. We're not going to convince the other party to come to our party's platform or position. Right. So there is there is this, uh, you know, you, you carve off. It's the Venn diagram. Right. You just you know, your circle, my circle. It's only the little bit that overlaps that we can find the common ground. 
the differences and the, and the distinctions and the sort of where conflict exists is when we're trying to, we're, we're on the peripheral and we're trying to convince each other on these peripheral issues and peripheral edges, which might be passionate, but they're peripheral as in terms of coming together. Uh, and I think it's no different than sitting at the Thanksgiving dinner table either, um, you know, where people don't even want to talk politics anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, where, tr where trust should exist, uh, it gets diminished because we put labels on people. And, um, and I think at the end of the day, people have opinions and they have commitments to those opinions. And it's not really anyone's job to persuade them otherwise. Um, what you really have to do in a collaborative negotiation is is understand each other and then find where, where do we have agreement or do, where, where can we work together uh, and where can we find um, a, a mutual gain and then respect one another's position. And most of the time, when people do change a position, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, they have, they're wooed into that. They're, they're changed over time. They're, they have to be convinced emotionally and convinced logically. Uh, that's the Aristotle construct. You have to have both. And, um, and, and it just usually takes, takes time. Uh, so, but if you, yeah. if you destroy the relationship, you won't have that opportunity anymore to, to have a meeting in the minds. And I, and I want to go back to that when you that when you destroy the relationship, because the the great tips that uh, I I hope that our listeners are walking uh, away from with today, the takeaways would be you really do have to have that high EQ, and that's that's a skill that you can learn. It's not like oh yes. I don't have my EQ, but to listen to them because it is about the relationships, and most people they they just want to be understood, and we're so out to win. Mm -hmm. And our points to the table. And you mentioned Chris Voss. And one thing that I appreciate what he said is that uh, never lie in a negotiation. Mm -hmm. And because we do when emotions are high, we might have a tendency to embellish it or maybe get throw out ultimatums or whatever, but never lie. But then <laughs> then he goes on to say, unless you're going to kill them. And <laughs> even that you have to worry about because that gets around. It's like, mm -hmm. hey. Not only did he lie, but that person died. So as soon as I can sense a lie going on, then I, I might be next, you know, in, in at the mortuary. So uh, now I really want to put my, you know, heels in and, and get my way. But I think that's a significant tip. Uh, it's easy to let your emotions run wild and embellish it where you want you want to win so badly that all of a sudden you. Maybe, especially in a legal situation, you know, where you've you've moved forward and now this one page agreement has turned into 40 pages because you're just trying to convolute, convolute everything and throw so much stuff out. It's like, let's let's really focus on the relationship and quit trying to discombobulate things by th right. throwing things out there just to win. And and with that, what what are some things that we can add the tips would be having that high EQ, uh, being able to truly listen, putting yourself into their shoes so you can understand. And we, we have three minutes to let into the show, Randy. So what would be some other great walkaways? Sure. Uh, Deepak Mahaltra from Harvard, um, he's head of the Harvard Law and the program on negotiation there. Great quote. I love this quote. He says, he says that uh, negotiation is an information game. So 
there's no, never a negotiation, never a negotiator that walks away from the table saying, I had too much information. I just didn't know what to do. I had too much information. Everyone wishes they had more information. And so you have to set out always with a quest. When you're asking questions, it's by design. It's wanting more information, more information that helps you meet the other side's interests and needs. Uh, and so the emotional intelligence will, uh, will, will help you to know how to ask those questions. Uh, but but your intelligent quotient, <laughs> your IQ, will help you to ask what kinds of questions. So you got to have both, right? You need to know what questions to ask, but you also need to know how to ask them. So information quest is really a key, key thing um, to, to uh, acquire uh, during that a particular transaction. And then one, one other thing, it's, I, I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> um, some deals are just not going to work. Some relationships are just not going to work. There, there are points where you just agree to disagree and you say, you know what, we're, we're not going to work together. We're not going to reach an agreement. And one anecdote on that, China and Taiwan and the Straits of Taiwan, there's been forever, there's been a war since the revolution, a uh, conflict between them. They have a longstanding commitment and agreement to disagree. We're going to agree to not talk about these issues because we will disagree on these issues. And so with friends in this political era and ho holidays coming up, we always say, there are certain things you can talk about and certain things you can't talk about. And it's okay to not talk and find agreement on certain issues. And, and that, that goes back to knowing your boundaries. And, and I, <laughs> I can really appreciate that because you, you, there are certain people that you're going to meet during the holidays. I mean, not meet them. You're going to see them and you haven't seen them in a while and you just know it's going to happen. So, so stay away from either, hanging out with them or with having those conversations. And with that, I just want to say thank you so much, Randy, for, for being on our, our show today and providing Absolutely. such great uh, tips here. And I can't wait. I'm actually going to have you on the show again when your book comes out because I can't wait to dive into that. Thanks again. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the 